0: Welcome to another TeachingAmericanHistory.org podcast, sponsored by the Ashbrook Center at Ashland University. TAH.org is the leading online resource for documents-based study of American history, civics, and government for teachers, students, and citizens. Hello, I'm Jeremy Gipton, Teacher Programs Manager at TeachingAmericanHistory.org. And I'm here with Dr. David Tucker, Senior Fellow at the Ashbrook Center and TeachingAmericanHistory.org. And we're going to talk about the work that he did on our core documents volume on religion in American history and politics. Remember that our core documents volumes, which will eventually be a series of about 44 titles, address different events, time periods, and ideas in American history and government. Each volume has a collection of documents that are uh, specific to that topic or time period. It has a thematic table of contents in the back of the book, which connects the documents together in ways other than just by chronological order. We have study questions for each of the documents. We have a scholar written summary about the time period that cites specific documents in the volume. And we also have a list of suggested additional secondary readings in the back of the book. I'll talk more about where you can get a hold of these copies, either physical. Or digital versions um, at the end of this podcast. But to go ahead and start things off, I'd like, uh, David, if you would introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background and, and how you came to doing this work with us.
1: Well, I have been working with the Ashbrook Center for a long time. I uh, met the former director of the Ashbrook Center, Peter Schram, when I was in graduate school. Peter was about five years ahead of me, uh, had attended the same graduate school. And I stayed friends with him over the years, and when he moved to the Ashbrook Center and became the director, he slowly got me involved in programs, teaching, and then um, 11 years ago or so, uh, 11 or 12 years ago, organizing the master's program uh, and helping set that up, and I've been teaching in the master's program ever since. Most of my uh, professional life was spent teaching... Uh, security issues, involved in them bureaucratically. I worked in the Pentagon for a while uh, and then teaching at the Naval Postgraduate School. But from the time I was in graduate school, I developed this interest in the role of religion in American history and politics. And I teach a course in the master's program. I'm one of the people that teaches this course called Religion in American History and Politics. So when the document volume uh, project was set up, uh, I'm, I'm one of the two general editors of that, along with Sarah Morgan Smith. When we set that up, um, I included as, as many of the religion volumes that we hoped to produce uh, in, in that uh, document collection. There's a, a program that Sarah and I have been working on, along with some other people, on religion in American history and politics. We have a website that's connected to teachingamerica.org. Uh, and uh, as part of that uh, program, we were going to do a number of document volumes, but when the larger project got set up, uh, Roger Beckett folded that those volumes we had in mind into that larger document project, so now they're a part of that.
0: So this individual volume is called Religion in American History and Politics, and it has 25 documents, Right. as well as the other materials that I, uh, that I had mentioned earlier. Now, just talking about religion in American history and politics in, in general, I mean, as a, as a topic, as it might fit into an American history, government, or civics class, why, here's my, my, my first question to you, which I've asked of the other editors, why would you encourage a teacher, or how would you encourage a teacher to use religion, Or study of religion. How are they? Why is that valuable to fold into an American history or government class?
1: I think that religion in American politics is uh, critical. You 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 need to understand the role of religion in American history and politics in order to understand America. And there are two reasons why more recently people have been disinclined to think that. One is that we. We have an idea of a separation of church and state, which is very important to us. In fact, I think that's the uh, single most important characteristic about the American founding, the fact that the founding fathers separated church and state. But they never separated and never intended to separate religion and politics. Uh, A little asterisk there. If you're Thomas Jefferson, you wanted to separate most religion from politics. But even he recognized that and, and expected that religion would remain part of American life. And, and when you read his public papers, he was always respectful of religion. And um, you know, he he knew the Bible uh, much better than many people who consider, I believe, than many people who consider themselves devout uh, Christians today. He he knew the Bible well, and he quoted it and and alluded to it in various state papers, because he knew his fellow Americans took it seriously. So, but we do have this, this, there is, and over, I would say over the last, you know, whatever, 30, 40, 50 years, there's been a tendency to become more cautious in talking about religion and politics, even though that doesn't violate the separation of church and state. And in American history, generally, people did not make this separation. We're not as careful and as cautious as we are now about mixing religion and politics or as concerned about it. And the the second thing is that among academics, there was in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s, a theory that religion was slowly going to disappear as an element in politics. And um, when I, I was in graduate school in the 70s, and that was a, a, a kind of dominant thought. And one thing I always mention is, if you look at Gordon Wood, who's a wonderful historian, and but if you read the creation of the American Republic, he doesn't mention religion. Uh, in, in that that changed, you know, uh, he in in his more recent writings on the Revolution and the founding, religion has a role to play, and he acknowledges that. And that shows the change in the way people began to think about it. And that was not driven by a theory or scholarly fads. It was driven by changes in observable reality. That is to say, the rise of the moral majority uh, and, and conservative religion returning to politics in the United States. And then overseas, of course, the rise of um, uh, militant Islam, uh, the Iranian revolution and the 70s Those events were occurring when I was in graduate school and that's what initially got me interested in religion and politics, both looking at what was happening in American politics but also what was happening overseas. So when you combine those two things you know in brief, the, the separation of church and state and this kind of theory that religion was slowly going to disappear as a political factor, there's been a te- there was a tendency in the historiography, to discount the role of religion. But I think that, in fact, religion, you can't understand American history if you don't understand the role of religion. The abolition movement, temperance, those are just two things that had a huge effect on American politics in different ways, both religiously inspired, as were many of the progressives um, when, you, when you dig into their uh, writings.
0: So how how i mean i think you make a very powerful case for you if you want to understand what america is and how america has unfolded if you don't understand the role of religion in this this it's like understanding how a car works with by ignoring the fuel system it just doesn't it's just not going to make sense right how does this collection this particular collection that you put together um how would using these documents enhance or enable the study of religion as a as a as playing a role in American history and politics.
1: The volume, Religion in American History and Politics, 25 Core Documents, was meant uh, not to cover all the aspects of religion and history, American history and politics, but really to focus on what I think of as the core issue in in understanding religion in American history. And that is, we have a founding that separates church and state but religion and politics remained linked and religion remained very important in our politics until the later 19th century when a number of people raised questions about those connections, some of that inspired by developments in science. We always focus on Darwin, but there was a lot going on uh, besides Darwin. Um, But in general, there was a, a tendency to say, is religion compatible with modern science. And if it's not, then it should have a reduced role in our our life. And that's the separate that's really the beginning of the division of uh, liberal christianity and if you want to use that term fundamentalist or conservative christianity. And that split is really the basis for understanding the split in our current politics. The I think we we Sarah Morgan Smith and my wife Ellen tucker and i selected these documents really to try to illustrate that story it's the core story of religion being uh, a dominant christianity being a dominant part of american life why that dominance came under attack and then the consequences of it that have played out in the 20th century uh, and are still part of our politics very much part of our uh, contemporary politics
0: it's so, interesting because – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to say, so it's not intended to be a compreh- – as I said at the beginning, not intended to be a comprehensive account of religion in American history, but to be – to focus on that key story. And you can, you can see that, uh, and, and the, the volume contains documents that show this. Almost all education in the United States was sponsored by, established by religious denominations. And that starts to change in the later uh, 19th and to the early 20th century. That's another way in which it manifests itself, this story about um, religion and American history and politics. So the the collection presents documents on all sides of that debate that occurred in the late 19th century. Um, was, Was the role of religion, in fact, retarding the development of American society or was it critical to American society? So it's, it's meant to tell that story, meant to present the people who debated it in the late 19th and early 20th century. And then in the other documents, uh, it's meant to show how that debate has continued in the 20th century. And it concludes with Obama's speech in Cairo, which, as a couple of the other later documents do, raises the question about how religion has affected American foreign policy.
0: So you you cheated by jumping ahead and answering my next question, which is fine. Um, which which was what kind of a lens, or did you have a a kind of a narrative guide? Did you have a story that you wanted to tell, or question you wanted to answer by through this volume? And I, and I think you just did that. You, this this right. this idea of what role does Amer- does religion play in our history and politics, with the driving question of how is that how has that changed? Right. Right. Now you you said you ended with Obama's uh, speech in Cairo. What uh, where does the volume start?
1: It starts in Colonial America with some of the first, uh, you know, the great kind of classic documents uh, in a way of American history: the um, Sermon on uh, Model of Christian Charity, um, to show that that was the context in which the founding occurred. In other words. Whether somebody you know like John Adams, whatever his views personal views of religion were, he came from a, a state and from a political environment in which religion was a dominant factor. Uh, the same is true if you you know if you you look in different ways, but true uh, uh, with regard to Madison and and Jefferson, who waged a fight really to in in Virginia to uh, mostly Madison because Jefferson was. Uh, out of the country overseas at the time, but to separate the Anglican Church from or the Episcopalian Church from uh, government um, in in Virginia. So you have to understand that colonial background to try to see how people like Madison, Jefferson, Washington's attitude towards religion, which differs from Jefferson's, you have to understand that colonial background. So it starts with colonial documents and then it focuses on on some of the key documents from the founding era and the development of this notion of the separation of church and state.
0: I think that's fascinating. You, you you bring up the idea that you know we we have this split today between call it like liberal Christianity or maybe even the avowedly not religious and more conservative Christians and it's interesting you talk about the colonial you know, the, the this volume starting in the colonial era which it seems to me is that's that's something of the anchor of many conservative Christians. They, they they're the lens through which they view American history is very much rooted in in the ideas that you just talked about, the founding, you know, the the, the idea of a city on the hill and, and model of Christian charity and those kinds of things. That's that's and interesting. of course
1: city city on the hill is a phrase Reagan is famous mm-hmm. for using it, but other other presidents have used that. And that's the way I think in which you can see, even for people who aren't Explicitly religious, there are a number of people I would say who aren't specifically, or you know, explicitly religious, who who still hold that view that America has to hold up certain standards, especially in our conduct overseas, um, and that's really an inheritance from that colonial period. Interesting.
0: Now, out of these twenty-five documents, which would you say if someone was going to just read one? and you can't cheat and say the whole book or something yeah, like that, Yeah. What, what would you choose, or where would you start someone, maybe?
1: I, I would say the first thing to read is uh, Washington's letter to the Hebrew Congregation of Newport, which is, um, I think, a document that's not as well known uh, as some other writings of Washington, but is really powerful statement of the spirit of the founding on this question of religion and politics and church and state. As I say, Washington was somebody, you know, in his farewell address, there's a lot of language about the importance of religion for supporting Republican government and morality and so forth. Yet he he was a firm believer in the separation of church and state, a firm believer in the mixture of politics and religion, but a firm believer in the separation of church and state. And this letter, is a, it's a powerful statement of that, position. And it's particularly important, I think, because he was responding to a letter from the Hebrew congregation in Newport, which was the congregation was expressing its joy in living in a country where Jews weren't persecuted and where they could be full citizens. They weren't you know, pushed off into a little ghetto or somehow deprived of the rights that others enjoyed because their religion and Washington echoes the words of the, of the congregation's letter. Of, I will um, just read one passage. The citizens of the United States of America have a right to applaud themselves for having given to mankind examples of enlarged and liberal policy, a policy worthy of imitation. All possess alike liberty of conscience and, and immunities of citizenship. So that notion that the government gives bigotry no sanction and persecution no assistance is, a, is powerful not only with regard to religion, but I would say is a kind of inspirational thought that uh, comes, comes out of, I think, you might say a, a, a religious tradition or reflecting on religion and politics, but in American history had much broader application. And it's, it's ultimately that spirit that Martin Luther King is channeling in the civil rights movement. So to me, that document is, is fundamental.
0: It's interesting too, because it seems when you mentioned King, you mentioned the civil rights movement, and I can think of, of other reform movements as well. So sure. many things we can tie back to that and then connect with other documents and ideas that are found in the volume and are found throughout our history, which, yeah. which then actually makes the, I think would make incorporating these documents and these ideas and these questions into American history or government class that much easier because the, the connective tissue is already there. Right. Now, out of these documents, you say that's the most, that's the one you would point people to first, or maybe even the most important. Um, what document stands out to you as maybe the most surprising or something that maybe you got something out of that, that you didn't anticipate?
1: Well, I, the one I would say is a document that comes from uh, the 19th century, about the middle of the 19th century. Its importance is that, it expresses what you might call the the Protestant synthesis. In other words, <clears throat> there was a point. This is was published in eighteen fifty two. It's called Baconianism and the Bible. So its its whole argument is that Francis Bacon, who is often cited as the father of modern science, that his understanding of the world is perfectly compatible with the Bible. And uh, you know when you when you read the 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 article you know, question its arguments and so forth. But taken as a whole, the way it was written by somebody, uh, Benjamin Morgan Palmer, 1852, it really shows this powerful synthesis of modern science, religion, and the American Revolution as the the revolution kind of bringing those things together, true Christianity and true science. That was the foundation on which really the whole, the understanding among the Protestants. And, you know, again, there's no statement in, uh, I mean, you'd have, there are exceptions to that, but generally that was the core of what we call the Protestant establishment. Uh, it wasn't a social grouping. It was really a set of ideas. And that essay explains that. And it shows, I think, how it sets up everything we now live with in the sense of of showing what was opposed in the late 19th century, what the change was that occurred in the late 19th century. We're all children of that change, so to speak. It's natural for us to think in certain ways. When you go back and read that document, you see how much our thinking or the thinking of Americans has changed. And it's uh, to me, it's important to understand that to kind of get a perspective on our current situation. And by current, I, I don't mean, you know, uh, 2018, but Really, throughout the 20th century, uh, the split between fundamentalists and liberal Christians and conservatives and liberals in politics, Palmer's article really shows that there was a, an alternative way of thinking about things, whether, you know, ultimately it makes sense. Uh, that was how people thought in 1852, or I would argue that it's representative of that.
0: Because that's that typically is. I mean, the, the idea that, well, science and religion are somehow incompatible, like permanently incompatible and, and hostile toward one another, and that it seems, if you talk about you know contemporary politics, that there are camps that, that hold to one or the other, and that here is a, a, a divergent view from 170 years ago.
1: Yeah, so Palmer's, in a nutshell, Palmer's, or the, the guiding thought in his article is that uh, God is the author of the Bible and of nature, and therefore they can't contradict. And, uh, you know, again, that doesn't just because he says it doesn't mean it's true.
0: Right, but, but it's a perspective it was, to consider.
1: Yeah, it was a dominant way of mm-hmm. thinking about things. And, and when that breaks down, uh, when there's less, less confidence in that view in, in the latter 19th and into the 20th century, then you get the Scopes trial you get debates over teaching evolution in the schools. Uh, all of it comes from, from that debate, that original disagreement and argument. And Palmer's uh, article is really expressing the view that was ultimately overturned as a kind of authoritative view.
0: As you put this together, or rather when you were done putting this together and you went back through and you, you essentially looked at your work, uh, did you learn anything yourself is there a, a maybe a new perspective or a, like an aha moment that you had somewhere in this process or looking back on it now that i mean it's it's been done for a while
1: yeah i i would say there were a couple i mean one thing i would say is that the that the aha moments kind of occurred in the process of putting it together over you know going back years of Teaching that course, and when I first read Palmer's article, for example, I went, "Wow, this is this is really interesting." It started; it allowed me really to understand some of the debates I was I had been reading about in the you know the nineteen twenties and the uh, the Scopes trial, why that was so critical. But I would say in, in the course of putting it together, one thing that struck me when we 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 tried. One thing we do in the document volumes is we try to annotate references that the articles or speeches make. And in the case of Lincoln, this in a way really isn't a surprise, but you see how thoroughly he knew the Bible and how much he wove it into his rhetoric. That was one thing that struck me. I mean, I knew fourscore and seven years ago, okay, that's biblical language, but almost any speech of his, and there are several in this collection, you see uh, regular use, if not, you know, explicit quotation, allusions to the language of the Bible. And it, 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 so that, that gives you a sense of his rhetoric, uh, how he structured his rhetoric, uh, how that would have appealed to the American people. So that was something that um, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't realize the depth or the extent of it in, in Lincoln's writings.
0: I would imagine that you would have that kind of that, that perspective on it, concentrating all these documents into one collection, you would see those trends over and over again.
1: Yeah, um, I would say the same thing is true of Franklin Roosevelt. Um, there are a couple of Roosevelt speeches, uh, one to the um, to a, a Catholic charity group, and he's just very clever, a remarkable uh, you know rhetorician, which is part of what made him a remarkable politician in the way he talks to Catholics and makes the New Deal seem like a you know the Pope's uh, decree. It's, it's just so that things like that to see, you know, to see the degree to which American politicians have used religion. And you could say, oh, you know, FDR was cynical or, you know, uh, Lincoln was trying to manipulate and so forth. I mean, that's that's part of politics, not the cynicism necessarily, but politicians have to persuade. You know, it's the people who govern and the politicians have to persuade. But I think the speech is the same is true. There's a speech by John Quincy Adams. You you see the extent to which the Bible was used as a as a source, a rhetorical source. And uh, again, I mean, I knew that, but but when you when you read through these speeches, you just you see it over and over again. And it, it you know again, I mean, even in uh, some other speeches that are not in the collection, you know, you can mention some if you think about them. You once you see that, you'll see how other politicians. Um, you know, we mentioned Reagan's city on a hill, for example, uh, you know, a, a biblical allusion. So that, I think, was one of the things that struck me after we put it all together. Interesting.
0: Well, thank you for your sure. time. I really appreciate this. Um, I think that this this helps kind of preface and cue up a, a, a someone, a teacher who would want to get this volume and read through the thing. They've, they've got some, some starting points here. Uh, now, remember, folks... These volumes are available in PDF and iTunes eBooks for free. You can purchase a Kindle version for 99 cents, or you can purchase a print on demand through Amazon for $10 per copy. You can access links to all of those versions through the blog post that this podcast is associated with, or you can go directly to TAH.org slash core American Documents. That's Core American Documents all together, all lowercase and see the full list of all the documents volumes you can also sign up for an email notification where we will send you an email every month or so when we publish a new volume so you can get a copy of the electronic version or purchase one of the other versions if that's more to your liking additionally if any of you are listening to this or subscribing to us through itunes if you would do us a favor by leaving a five-star rating, um, some feedback that would help get the news about our podcast out to more people, and as always, uh, share links to this on your social media, within your social media networks, Uh, let your friends know, and last piece, with those PDF versions of these volumes, you are free to distribute those to students, you're free to put those on class websites or school internets or things like that, we're not going to prevent you at all from using these documents with students, as a matter of fact, that's why we put these volumes together. So keep an ear out for the next episode in our our editor interviews. Uh, Our plan is to publish about six to eight of these volumes per year. And again, if you sign up for the email notification, you'll be notified automatically. Thanks again, David, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to another tah.org podcast. You can find archives of all our previous programs as well as information about future programs at tah.org slash webinars or on iTunes by searching for teachingamericanhistory.org.